Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, kids, you get to stay in church with us this morning. Um, yeah, it's a special Sunday. We get to have you with us this morning. Uh, it's an exciting deal. Uh, so we are uh, going to go ahead and continue in our series on Jeremiah. I- I'm totally kidding. <laughs> Uh, some of you know that the last many times I was up here, we were talking about Jeremiah. I do like to preach on things other than Jeremiah. Uh, I'm excited just to dive into this passage in Luke with you this morning. John mentioned Christmas continuing this morning. When is the end of Christmas? When does it end? Does it end December 26th? Do the decorations go back in the box? According to Target, it's Valentine's Day already. But yeah, for some of you, uh, Christmas is, is just, that's it. We're done. We're moving on. For some of you, no, Christmas stays till New Year's. Late January, never. Christmas never ends. Let's take, let's take a little poll. How many, Christmas is done December 26th. That's it. Like, we're done. Put everything away. How many, uh, maybe like New Year's? Or somewhere around there. How, how many it's like, nope, Christmas is all the time. You know, all year round. All right, cool. All right. So we're all kind of split. And that's just fine. So you December 26 people, you're going to just muscle through this morning because we're continuing to talk about Christmas and everyone else is just going to be hunky-dory. Uh, we are continuing Christmas this morning because uh, we're continuing in our series on the book of Luke. And since the passage we're looking at this week, and even the one next week, is associated with Christmas, it may feel like we're dragging it out. But here's the thing. Though it's great to have a season where we focus on the wonder and joy of the Christmas narratives, there's so much worth examining and applying to our everyday life that it's worth the time to look at these passages year-round. This morning, we are looking at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. I'd encourage you to go ahead and open up your Bibles there. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a new Bible in the seat in front of you. We upgraded. We've got hardback Bibles now. Page 805 uh, is where you can go in that one. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that one with you. But uh, as you open up your Bible to Luke chapter 2, I invite you to dive into this passage with fresh eyes. Look for ways to take these truths and apply them to your life, not just during Christmas, but all year long. So if you're there, go ahead and stand, and we're going to read this passage together. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for your word. And God, even... uh, (laughs) We get excited about a, a little thing as a, as a new Bible with a hardback cover. Um, God, it's, it's the same word. Whether it comes in hardback, paperback, digital, whatever it is, God, your word is your word. And it remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. It remains the same around Christmas time, and it remains the same in the middle of June, and it remains the same regardless of when we're reading it. So God, as we, as we dive into your word, as we open it up this morning, I just want to say thank you for it. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity that we get to read it, to understand you more, to know you more, to fall in love with you more. God, thank you that we live in a place where we have the freedom to worship, to read your word without fear of pain or of death, and we pray for those that are in that situation even this morning, God, that you would protect them and comfort them. But God, we're just thankful for the opportunity to dive into your word together. Let us hear from you. Let us hear your words, your voice this morning, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. So we have two main things going on in this very familiar passage. We have the angel's announcement, and we have the shepherd's reaction. So we're going to take time and look at both. And some of you like uh, filling in blanks. I put lots of blanks on uh, your paper this morning, so lots of opportunities for you to write in words. Um, as, as I grew up, it was one of my favorite games to try to guess what those blanks were going to be and see if I could fill them in, and you're welcome to do that as well. I don't have whiteout for you if you get it wrong, um, so walk forward with, with care if, if that matters to you. <laughs> I don't know, um, but we're going to dive into this together. So first, we're going to take a look at the angel's announcement, which covers verses 8 through 14. First of all, The angel's announcement came to the most unlikely people. That's your first blank to fill in. The angel's announcement came to the most unlikely people. Kids, who did the angels give this announcement to? The shepherds, that's right. Yeah. So here's why the shepherds were just unlikely people. Shepherds were not one were not who one would expect to get such an important message. Because in that day and age, shepherds were untrustworthy. Shepherds were lowly. Shepherds were the outcasts of society. Putting it in today's terms, 
this amazing message would have come to used car salesmen or politicians, or it would have been posted on Facebook. I mean, imagine this, right? Imagine seeing a post on Facebook. The Lord has come. Okay, how many of you then immediately, all right, we got to jump onto Snopes and see what's going on here and like doing some fact checking like, no, this can't be right, right? I mean, how, how hard is it for anyone to believe anything that's posted on Facebook these days, right? It came in the most unlikely way to the most unlikely people. But isn't that just how God works? It, it, it came to shepherds, untrustworthy, lowly, outcasts. But see, there was this other guy that was a shepherd. His name was David. And God chose him. He was the unlikely choice. Let me read to you out of 1 Samuel chapter 16. Samuel's told by God, hey, you're going to go and you're going to anoint the new king. And so he goes to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem. When they came, Samuel looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ready and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. God chose the unlikely. God chose the one that no one else would have selected. In 2 Samuel 7, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. The point is that God chose to use him unlikely as that was. And here's the cool thing, is that if you follow Jesus, his word has come to you. His word has come to me. Let me read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm starting in verse 26. It says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. 
But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, just as God used shepherds to get his message across, so that they couldn't brag about how important they were, and that's why God chose them. See, they're not going to walk around like, of course God picked shepherds. We're the best. They know what their station is. Just as God used shepherds to get his message across, he uses us to get his message across. I know how valuable I am on my own. I'm nothing. But God uses me to get his message across. And then continuing on in our passage in Luke, He says, this is a message for all the people. And then he says, for unto you is born this day. It has echoes of Isaiah 9, 6, which they would have been familiar with. Isaiah 6 says, for unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. So yes, this message came first to Jews, but then it spread to everyone. And it came to the lowly also to show that this message was for everyone from every station. In Luke 18, uh, which we'll get to later on in our series on Luke, we have the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Two people that, that, that go in, and, and, and the Pharisee goes into the temple with this, this pride and this arrogance. He's proud of how holy he is. Imagine if God had had sent the message to him. He would have walked around with this arrogance. Well, of course God sent it to me. Who better? I'm the right person for the job. I'm just, God did such a great job creating me. Of course the message is going to come to me because I'm the best person to deliver it. But no. Instead of it going to his head, it came to someone of lowly station. Like the humble tax collector, the shepherds knew their place. And they must have been blown away that the message came to them. But it wasn't just that the message was for them, but it was that the Savior was for them. Unto you is born this day. The Savior was for everyone. Oh, how beautiful. So the angel's announcement came to the most unlikely people. It also displayed the glory of God. The angel's announcement displayed the glory of God. There's a lot of angel, uh, angel appearances in the book of Luke and the book of Acts, both written by Luke. 
We just saw two in the previous weeks uh, in Luke 1.11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord. That's an angel appearing to Zechariah. And then later, uh, an angel appears to Mary in Luke 1.26.27. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a virgin. That's Mary. And then in Luke 24... Two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. That's two angels appearing to the women at Jesus' tomb. And then in Acts 1.10, after uh, Jesus ascends into heaven, two men stood by them in white robes. That's two angels appearing to the disciples. And then in Acts 12.7, Peter's in prison, and an angel of the Lord stood next to him. And this angel shows up and frees him from prison. So there's lots of different appearances of angels throughout the book of Luke and the book of Acts. But this appearance stands out because we see not only does it say that an angel appeared to them, but it also says, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And this is a big deal because the glory of the Lord only shows up a couple other times in Scripture. It shows up on Mount Sinai when, when Moses is dealing directly with God. And then it shows up in the temple, in the tabernacle as well, in the holiest of holies. The glory of the Lord would come down on top of the Ark of the Covenant. It was God's presence right there, manifest. But these two times, and there's a couple others, but these two times were the only times where the glory of the Lord had shown up until that time. The glory of the Lord would show up in the Holy of Holies, and the glory of the Lord showed up on Mount Sinai. And the people that saw it were a select few. The people at Mount Sinai, and then the, the high priest. The high priest was the only one allowed in the Holy of Holies, the only one who would be allowed to see the glory of God. And the, and he, uh, if, if some of you have studied, you know, this, this, uh, Hebrew history, the, the priest would wear this robe that had bells on the end. And part of why he was in, while he was in there, he would continue to move. And the reason he was wearing the bells was so that people outside could hear whether he was still alive or not. If the bells stopped moving, that means that he was dead. Because he was standing before the glory of the Lord. And so there were very specific instructions given in how to interact with the glory of the Lord. And in two other times, we see the glory of the Lord in Scripture. At the transfiguration, again, a select few people were there. And then in Revelation, when it talks about heaven not needing a sun or a moon because the glory of the Lord is there. So there's something really unique that's happening here, and there's a CG question that gets into it more. But the key idea is that this was a big enough deal to display the glory of the Lord. Huge deal. No wonder the shepherds were terrified. This stands out from other angelic appearances. This was a big enough deal to display the glory of the Lord. But it doesn't end with that. After the angel gives his message, a multitude of the heavenly host shows up praising God. 
They're saying glory to God in the highest. Glory to God. The angels cannot help but give glory to God, something of which we should take note. Every time I read this, I'm drawn to the pictures of heaven we get in Revelation. Let me read out of Revelation 5. Then I looked, and I heard all around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Those same angels that are there at the throne room worshiping God, that were probably at the throne room shortly before they show up to these shepherds. That's what they were doing. They were busy worshiping, and then they decided, we're going to bring these shepherds in on this too. And we're going to show up, and we're all going to worship him together. They give glory to God. See, other times throughout Scripture, when an angel delivers a message, it's usually one or two. Or three in the rare case, like Abram and Sarai, when they show up and talk to him, them. But here, this was a big enough deal for a multitude of the heavenly host to show up. The angel's announcement displayed the glory of God. But amazingly, while it did that, it still brought peace to earth. Brought peace to earth. The angel says, fear not. Which is a common reassurance given when an angel shows up. Again, we saw it twice already in the book of Luke. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, when the angel shows up. Do not be afraid, Mary, when Gabriel shows up. In Matthew 28, when the women are looking for Jesus at his tomb, the angels say, fear not. Don't be afraid. Now, we've been showing uh, images from a Charlie Brown Christmas. And a Charlie Brown Christmas it shows this well. The character Linus walks around with his security blanket and, and, and goes around everywhere with it, doesn't let go of it. And many of you know, uh, at one point during a Charlie Brown Christmas, he gets up and he quotes out of this passage that we're talking about today, which we'll get to watch in a little bit, kids. Won't that be fun? Yeah, we'll get to watch a little bit of that. Um, but what's really cool is when he gets to the words, fear not, he puts down his security blanket. He sets it down. I don't need it anymore. He realizes he doesn't need to fear. Now, maybe that was a mistake. I don't think it was a mistake. I mean, they intentionally drew that in. But just beautiful to see. Fear not. So the angel saying fear not was an effort to bring a calming peace to the shepherds. But the peace didn't stop there. The second half of the multitude's message is, on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Or depending on your translation, peace, goodwill toward men. 
Either way, the message is that peace is coming. Now, this is something they should have already known. Again, going back to Isaiah 9, what are the names given to the coming child in Isaiah 9? His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. The next verse, it continues by saying, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So they know that peace is coming. But then we have a problem. Because in Matthew 10.34, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. What? Hold on. That's a problem. Because peace is coming, but he just said it's not. So what's going on? Well, the peace in the passage in Matthew is different than the peace spoken of elsewhere. The peace in Luke and in Isaiah is talking about peace between God and people. The healing of the estrangement caused by human evil. That's the kind of peace that was being brought. Finally healing that relationship that had been broken since Adam and Eve. That kind of peace. But the peace in Matthew that Jesus is talking about is the peace that people were hoping for. An absence of fighting. Jesus knew that his coming would not bring that kind of peace but rather quite the opposite. As one commentator put it, as long as some men refuse the lordship of God to follow the prince of peace will always be a way of conflict. As long as some men refuse the lordship of God to follow the prince of peace will always be a way of conflict. That's a conflict that we continue to live in today. And we will do so until Jesus returns. Conflict. But we can know that we have been offered the greatest peace on earth, which is reconciliation with God, which is what the angels were talking about. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Jesus, as the prince of peace, is coming to make peace between God and man not this absence of conflict and absence of fighting on this earth that we were hoping for, but the better kind of peace. So the angel's announcement brought peace on earth. Finally, the angel's announcement gave the gospel clearly. Clearly. So coming back to a Charlie Brown Christmas... Charlie Brown is frustrated with Christmas. Absolutely frustrated. He's walking around saying, I just don't understand it. I don't get it. Instead of feeling happy, he feels let down. He feels like it's over-commercialized. And he gets to a breaking point. And he yells out and asks if anyone knows what Christmas is all about. Let's go ahead and watch this clip, listen for the gospel 
in our passage as Linus talks about it. And remember to watch Linus's blanket. Isn't that cool? Now, granted, there's a little mistake, and he does have it in his hand again and then put it down. And I know some of you are sticklers like that and caught it. Um, I was too. But what's, what's interesting is that Charles Schultz, as he was putting this little special together, he insisted that this be included in the film. And he also wrote it so that this would be the climax, so that it can't be edited out. It wasn't this little side thing, but like it was the center of the story so that it would always be included. He understood that this is what Christmas is all about. But what specifically? Well, we see that it's good news. I bring you good news of great joy. Good news is what the word gospel means. In the Greek, it's this word euangelizomai. It's a nice long Greek word, euangelizomai, which is where we get the word evangelize. So what is the good news? It says, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Savior is a key term in the book of Luke. It's only used once in John. It's never used in Matthew or Mark, but it's used here in Luke multiple times. He's keying in on on this idea that, that this baby showing up is a savior. And then he, he says he is Christ the Lord. Christ meaning anointed one. In the Old Testament, the only people that were anointed were the, the priests or a king. And so it's saying that he is a priest. He is a king. And the fact that it says that he's Lord, Lord is the translation of the name Yahweh, which is the Hebrew name for God. So when he's saying that this is Christ the Lord, Christ the Lord is describing the child in the highest of terms. But there's something else that's really key to catch in here. When it says, for unto you is born this day. This day. That's also another key word throughout the book of Luke. Let me read to you another time where that same Greek word is used. If you want to follow along, you can just flip over a couple of pages to Luke 4. Starting in verse 16. And Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The word today in verse 21 is the same word used for this day in our passage. 
It's also the same word used when Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. And what this is pointing out, it's talking about fulfillment of prophecy. In Luke 4, Jesus is using the word to point to the fact that on that day, the prophecy that they had heard for so long had finally been fulfilled. And in Luke 2, the angel is saying that this day, the long-awaited Messiah has arrived. There is no chance to misunderstand the angel's clear message. It's today. Today it's being fulfilled. Now let's take a look at the shepherd's reaction. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened with which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. In verse 15, they, they found him in a manger, which was the sign given in verse 12, wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger, which is what we were told back in verse 7, wrapped him in swaddling claws, lying in a manger. So the shepherd's reaction. First, we see that the shepherd's reaction began in God's presence. When they heard the good news, their first response was to run. And yes, they ran. The phrase, let us go, in Greek has this sense of urgency. But also verse 16 says that they went with haste. They ran to Jesus' feet and they worshiped. We see this throughout scripture. When Abraham's servant found a wife for Isaac, he worshiped. When God made new tablets for Moses, having forgiven the people, Moses worshiped. When Gideon saw that God was going to defeat the Midianites, he worshiped. When the wise men arrived at Mary and Joseph's house, they worshiped. When Jesus calmed the storm, the disciples worshiped. When Jesus healed the blind man, the man worshipped. When the women saw Jesus risen from the dead, they worshipped. When Jesus returned to heaven, the disciples worshipped. And even in sorrow, there's worship. After David's child died, he got up and worshipped. When Job found out that all his children had died, he worshipped. So if we see this worship throughout scripture, we need to react in the same way. Whether the news is good or bad, we begin at the feet of Jesus. We come and worship. How many times have you prayed for something, had God answer your prayer, and you forget to thank him? How many times have you neglected to invite God into your excitement, into your joy, into your sorrow? Everything needs to begin in God's presence. So the shepherd's reaction began in God's presence. But finally, we see that the shepherd's reaction gave glory to God. Gave glory to God. Everyone who heard what the shepherd said wondered. Wondered meaning reacting with awe or amazement. They were blown away. 
Luke often connects the emotional response of wonder, marveling, or amazement to God's miraculous works throughout the book, using the same Greek word over and over. Later on in chapter 2, you're going to hear about this next week, Simeon prophesies over Jesus and Mary and Joseph marveled at what was said about him. Later on in Luke 2, Jesus gives wise answers to the teachers in the temple, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. In chapter 4, we just read this. After Jesus reads from the scroll of Isaiah, everyone marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. In chapter 8, after Jesus calms a storm, they marveled. In chapter 9, after Jesus casts out an evil spirit, all who were, all were astonished at the majesty of God. In chapter 11, Jesus casts out a demon and the people marveled. And in chapter 24, after Peter sees the empty tomb, he went home marveling at what had happened. When God does amazing things, we can't help but marvel. We can't help but praise him. In Luke 5, Jesus heals a paralytic and amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. In Luke 7, Jesus raises a person from the dead and fear seized them all and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. In Luke 17, Jesus heals 10 lepers. And then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. In Luke 18, Jesus heals a blind man. Once the man could see, he followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. In Luke 23, right after Jesus dies... It says, now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. And again, in our passage, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told them. And so what I wanted to do was just take a couple of minutes and just take time and praise God together. And I'll say this as well for any that are listening online in the future. Uh, go ahead and pause and just take time and praise God for what he's done. But for those of us in here, what we're going to do, this isn't going to be recorded. This is just for us as a family. Maybe just think back through the last year or just think back over what God has done. And let's just take a couple of moments and praise him. So wherever you're at, whether you stand up or just sit where you're at, just praise God for what he's done. Well, I know there's plenty more that we can continue to give glory to God for. But that's what the shepherds did. I just wanted to take time and, and join in. So what's my part? <clears throat> this picture, um, it's part of the story and... and what happens? Lucy walks up to this guy named Shermie. She says, Shermie, you're a shepherd. He says, every Christmas, it's the same. I always end up playing a shepherd. And Shermie comes across as pretty disappointed. But I think if he understood more about his role, he'd be pretty excited that he gets to be a shepherd. 
What's a shepherd's part? What role do they play? Well, as we've talked about this morning, a shepherd's part is being amazed at the fact that God is using us. God sent his message to lowly shepherds. They were chosen. God sent his message to you and to me. We are chosen. A shepherd's part is to be in God's presence. They went first and worshipped. And we need to first and always be worshippers. And the shepherd's part is giving glory to God. The shepherds were so excited that they spread his word to everyone. And we need to do the same. Yuangelizomai, I bring you good news. And the glory goes to God and God alone. I've been listening to a song this Christmas season, and one of the lines says, If I were a shepherd, I would do my part. I've been chewing on that line for over a month now, ever since I first heard the song. And my prayer has continually been, Lord, help me do my part. As we just sang, shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen king. John, Jeannie, go ahead and come on back up. We're going to sing one more song. But I just want to leave us with this. What's my part? If I were a shepherd, I would do my part. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Our part is to go. That's what we learn from these shepherds, to give glory to God. Let me pray. God, (laughs) you continue to do amazing things. And forgive me for the times when I try to take the credit or when I try to give the credit to someone else besides you because you're the one that does amazing things. I'm humbled by the fact that you choose to use us to make those things happen. But God, far be it from me to ever take the credit because it's you that's doing the amazing things. And it's you that needs to get the glory every single time. So God, today we give you glory. Today we give you praise. For you have done the amazing. You have done the impossible. You have done something that boggles the mind. You came to earth. You humbled yourself to be a baby. You lived. You died. In our place. 
church. You didn't stay dead because you are God and you conquered death. You conquered sin. And our part is to go and to share the amazing thing that you have done for us. God, let that just seize our heart today so that as we go, we can't help but share with others. And as we're about to sing, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. In Jesus' name, amen.